Salutations. Welcome to Episode 7, Who Am I? Finding Myself Again? Hashtag Explore, Expand, Become. Salutations and welcome to another meeting of the minds at the Hopeful Humans Cafe as we explore ideas and flow about the good life and resources for our spiritual toolboxes. I'd like to welcome all listeners, past and new. I'm your host, Steve, the Hopeful Humanist. And today, we're going to be talking about a resource for a person to find oneself. As one manages to make sense of one's absurd experience in this world where the stuff of life, as we discussed in the previous episode, is paradox, irony, and contradiction. I think this resource definitely requires the use of a journal and a pen and some mindfulness about some previous tools that we talked about in other episodes. For instance, uh, greedy institutions, this idea of being critically self-reflective, the absurd, conscious living, an inventory of our strengths, etc. So today I'm going to explore a resource that's going to provide food for thought ramblings about how to develop a relationship with oneself. So often when we're not surrounded or we're not sharing space with anyone or any number of people, we might be inclined to say, you know, I'm alone. I'm here by myself. I like to reframe that thought and say, we are with ourselves and we can develop a relationship with ourselves. And in the process of doing so, we can discover ourselves. So before we get into it, I'd like to start with an initial just by the way thought section of the episode today to share a number of different resources that are available to people to check out. I'm experimenting with a resource called The Science of Well-Being. A colleague of mine mentioned that she discovered there's this happiness workshop from Yale online that's free. So I signed up for that, did the Google search, and I arrived at the web page. And when I went there, I just had to provide an email address and a login password. And I was able to have access to this lecture series about happiness. It's a six-week series. And if you pay $49, you'll be able to access all the materials that are provided in the online course. But with nothing down, one's able to access all the video lectures and there's additional uh, reading materials. I've not signed up for that. I'm just taking the free version, and I'm very much enjoying that. One of the thoughts that they shared on there is when you compare people in the 1940s to 2015, that the level of happiness has not increased, according to reports from a survey. And they identified that even though there are greater amounts of wealth today, even though that there is more material stuff available with this increased financial wealth that we have today, that people are no happier today, uh, well, 2015, than they were in the 1940s. And not only that, there's an increased risk of depression, and there's a slightly less level of happiness, probably negligible, but that the happiness has not gone up as would have been predicted because of increases of overall financial wealth. So yeah, there's a whole bunch of interesting information that one can uh, discover by perusing that uh, online course for free. The other thing that I discovered, there's this 
do something different course that a person can access through the homepage of Action for Happiness. It provides some basic information about yourself. You create a login, and each day this program or course, whatever we want to call it, will provide a person with a do, um, an action that fits your personality profile, encouraging people to act in ways that will generate higher levels of happiness. So as an example, one of the do's that I had, because I signed up for this, and I'm, I'm very much enjoying it. It's a three-week course. And there's uh, the do that I got a day ago was get out and play a jump in a puddle or do a cartwheel. So it's just one way of really encouraging a person to engage in a set of actions that will possibly increase the likelihood of elevated levels of happiness. I think the idea is identifying once again that happiness is not necessarily a feeling, but it's a lifestyle. It includes a set of actions, and these actions can influence a person's thoughts and feelings. The third thing I'd like to talk about, and I find this really interesting, we, in a previous episode, episodes four and five, I believe, talked about a book called Lost Connections by Johan Hari, and he was providing thoughts about uncovering the real causes of depression and the unexpected solutions. And in that book, he challenged this idea that a cause of depression is a chemical imbalance and a low-level serotonin situation going in a person's synapses in the person's brain. Since then, and after I read that book, and even while doing the podcast that in episode 4 and 5, I went to the CAMH website, and they're world-renowned in terms of the cutting-edge research on mental health and addiction. And I discovered in there, interestingly enough, the low levels of serotonin chemical imbalance theory explanation cause the cause for depression. The idea was that this was being presented as one of the causes of depression. I recently went back to KMH. I find it's a really incredible resource. I regularly go back there. I'm checking different things. And I went and discovered that they have a new look uh, at KMH. Uh, home page is it looks different they've done some enhancements and they've changed some of the powerpoints that are available for public education and in terms of the mental health 101 series if you click on that and you're able to find the the new powerpoint for depression and access that open it up uh, i went to a part of the PowerPoint that was labeled and entitled Risk Factors and Causes of Depression. And I'm going to read to you what, what it says because it's it's different. It's changed. It says depression results from interactions between genetic, biological, environmental, and psychological factors. Depression can begin at any age but usually starts when a person is in their late teen years or in their early adulthood. Many long-term mood and anxiety disorders in adults begin as high levels of anxiety in children, women, young people, those with persistent conditions, and people with a family history of major depressive episodes are more likely to develop major depression. Risk factors for depression include personal or family history of depression. Number two, major life changes, trauma, including intergenerational trauma or stress. And three, certain physical illnesses and medications. Now, what's interesting is they no longer include the 
chemical imbalance and low serotonin explanation as a cause for depression. And I just think it's interesting that this book by Johan Hari came out in January of this year. It focused on challenging that thought in terms of suggesting that it's actually a unhelpful thought in terms of explaining causes because it's not focusing on giving as much attention as, as the author believes should be given to social causes. So there's been some changes in the research that's being presented as a risk factor and cause for depression at the CAMH website. So I just think that's really interesting. I uh, tip my metaphorical hat to CAMH because it seems like they're definitely on top of things and they are looking for evidence-based information to share with the public. Number four, just by the way, thought to share. Um, in terms of the first episode where we talked about happiness and the paradox of happiness, where the more one actively pursues happiness, the more difficult it often becomes for one to be happy. I suggest reading the article, The Sad Truth About the Action for Happiness Movement by David Harper. I think it's important always to be critically reflective about uh, specific fields of research that we can be aware of possible limits. And this, uh, this article by David Harper suggests that we might want to be a little cautious about the way we are thinking about happiness and that there could be some limits that we're not being mindful of. And this fits in with the goal of the Hopeful Humans Cafe of encouraging you know, myself and others to be critically reflective thinkers, right? For us to become aware of our biases, to suspend judgment, ask questions, try to, to the best of our ability, create a evidence-based position that we're willing to defend because, you know, there's information and data out there to support that. And number five, the last thing I'd like to share in terms of the just by the way thoughts part of the podcast is uh, if you just want to jump in and you don't necessarily want to listen to all the information that I'm going to talk about other than getting right to the resources that I think are of particular importance for someone that's tackling the question about who am I. You can Google 16 personalities. It's a free personality test. It takes about 15 minutes to complete and provides feedback about strengths and weaknesses, friendships, romantic relationships, career path, and other life domains. I did that today. I found the information interesting. And it's just another one of the pieces of information that we can collect about ourselves so we can get a, a sense of, you know, who am I? What is the, the meaning of my life? What is the purpose of my life? And once we figure out kind of what it is we, we are or who it is that we are, it kind of helps us with the idea of how ought I to live my life, right? So today, we are going to be looking at who am I, what is the meaning of life, those big perennial questions that it seems everyone that is thrust into this world eventually is confronted with and must tackle. What should our starting point be? I think in all honesty, starting points are arbitrary. So I just want to put that out there and suggest that a, a good starting point for this conversation before I get into the resource would be to reflect on kind of two background factors that I think influence the conversation. Number one, I think we need to be aware of the absurd, that you know we're in a world that at times is hard to make sense out of, it's hard to be healthy in this world, and it's full of experiences that could be identified as absurd. For instance, in the previous discussion that we had about the absurd, the idea that 
you know, none of us asked to be in this world. We're kind of thrust in this world. And all of a sudden, we're, there's more or less a demand placed on us that we take responsibility for ourselves. So we've got the absurd in the background, thinking about how that impacts this whole thought process of figuring out who and what it is that I am. And then I think we also need to ground this discussion in what Buddhist theory, Buddhist philosophy refers to as the five remembrances. And in terms of the five remembrances, uh, you know, there, it's just a reminder that you know we're we're all going to at some point get ill. We will all get ill. At some point, we're all going to die. At some point, we're all going to grow old. At some point, we're all going to experience loss, some kind of loss, and that we, the one thing that we do have is a, a responsibility for our actions. So in the background, we have the absurd, we have the five remembrances. And, and I want to start with a number of quotes. So one of the quotes I think I'd like to tackle would be, or to share, would be in response to a question terms of like what is the benefit of engaging such a life project in terms of asking oneself you know who am I and I think ultimately best way for a person to discover what one ought to do this is a quote by Abraham H. Maslow so the in answer his answer to this quote this question what is the benefit of engaging in such a life project is this ultimately the best way for a person to discover what one ought to do is to find out who and what one is. Because the path to ethical and value decisions, to wiser choices, to oughtness, is via isness, via the discovery of facts, truth, reality, the nature of the particular person. That's on page 106 of The Farther Reaches of Human Nature. We might find ourselves, and then we might have an opportunity to be true to ourselves and experience a more harmonious immersion in terms of our lived experiences. That's my kind of summary thought about what Maslow is suggesting there, that you know, when we when we discover what it is that we are, then it kind of it's like a vector provides us with a direction about the way we should be moving in life and the things that we should be doing while we're moving in that direction. The departure point here I think could be well served by reminding uh, ourselves of some quotes that we started off the last episode with in terms of the absurd. And these are quotes from Camus. And this is uh, what has been offered by Camus. While standing on any street corner, one suddenly realizes how asleep one has been as the stage sets of life collapses. Rising, streetcar, four hours in the office at the factory, meal, streetcar, four hours of work, meal, sleep, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, according to the same rhythm. This is easily followed most of the time, but one day the why arises, and everything begins in that weariness tinged with amazement. There are those moments that we don't expect that arrive and surprise us. And it's as if a waking up is taking place. As if we realized in that moment that we're asleep. We wonder, what is it all about? Why am I here? What is my meaning? Who am I? What's my purpose? In that kind of moment, the absurd definitely does encourage us to 
take inventory of who and what it is that we are. From another angle, though, from a different starting point, in terms of perhaps a young person who's moving out into this world and discovering through the adventure of life all the different activities and ventures that could await a person, sometimes during that journey, a person might find that they have different feelings, and I think that sometimes it's not our thoughts or the experiences they've served that wakes us up to the importance of this question of who am I and the need to find out who am I. But it's sometimes feelings that we have, and these feelings, I think, are signs that there's some soul work to do. So a person could find oneself feeling restless. A person could find oneself feeling bored spiritually rudderless. These are the kind of feelings I think that are informative in terms of suggesting to a person that it's time to think deeply about the way one is living one's life. We have this as our starting point and now I think the best thing for us to do would be to jump into the material as presented by this particular resource I want to showcase today. But I, I need to admit something from the outset, right? In respect to this question about who am I, I must admit that, you know, I have a bias, right? And my bias is toward the belief in the empowerment of choice. And, and I've held the belief in the possibility of peace, like for going back into my youth, like 20 years, the possibility of peace and the empowerment of choice and the transformative qualities of love and forgiveness. And I think that in terms of answering this question about who am I, it's important that I acknowledge a bias, this bias towards the empowerment of choice, because I'm inclined to accept this notion of this thing called agency, and, and consequently, I believe in the revelatory nature of choice. Now, I know for some or many, choice, or more specifically, this thing called free will is an illusion, and they, they have their logic to defend it, and I know that Sartre would call a reluctance to accept one's power to choose bad faith and he would have his existential position and logic to defend it and so we have these two um, polar positions and i'm not going to engage in that debate but what i will say is you know i kind of take a more pragmatic approach to the issue of choice and agency and i call on william james sharing to kind of speak for me when when he had been quoted as saying, you know, my first act of free will is to believe in it. So, before we start, I have to acknowledge that for me, in terms of understanding oneself, I go to this place quite often about choice. In terms of the things that we choose, it reveals things about ourselves. It reveals beliefs, needs, reveals values, tensions, and interests. So, that is out there, and, and if someone is, is kind of inclined to say, you know, well, I, I disagree with that, then at least we know where we will diverge. So the web page that I would like to talk about is a web page that's presented by WikiHow, and it is called uh, WikiHow, How to Find Yourself. And uh, there are four parts, and the first part is a, called Waking the Conscience. And there's an encouragement for a person to create one's own timeline. They suggest that uh, you capture those significant moments in one's life. You write down all the goals that you feel you've achieved and want to achieve. Now, in terms of taking a resource, 
and work in it. And I always encourage anyone to take it and make it their own. And, and I've done the same. And in the course of my journaling chapters of my life, I have not necessarily drawn a timeline about specific events. I uh, more creatively, I, I created a what I call a choice timeline, and I entitled it the Dawning of Agency. And what I did is I wrote down and made reference to different significant points in my life where I made either you know, maybe little decisions or life-altering choices. And that, for me, was encouraging because it reminded me about that belief that I have that, to a degree, I am a co-author of my life. The reason why I say a co-author is because choice exists in a context on a canvas, right? I can't just decide to elevate myself and you know, work against the laws of gravity. I have to work with constraints that exist. And as such, we can have these little decisions or life-altering choices that happen in the context. Another way of identifying a life-altering moment would be like signature moments in our life where a significant event has taken place that is connected with thoughts, feelings, and even the, the difficult ones. I find it helpful to transform those difficult ones into points where I, I would refer to them as um, moments where there are gifts of suffering. So I recognize that there's a, a difficult point, but that often if we look deeply, not necessarily right away, but after the fact, we can discover that there are gifts that come from those more difficult points. Getting back to Maslow, another thing you can do for your timeline, uh, we can call them signature life events, we can call them life-altering choice, or we can call them peak experiences. And a peak experience, according to Maslow, is a generalization for the best moments of human beings, the best moment of a human being, the happiest moments of life for experiencing ecstasy, rapture, bliss of the greatest joy, right? And that's from page 101 of the Five Virtues of Human Nature. So, yeah, I think that uh, that's why I, I thought, you know, before getting prepared to explore this resource, there was that invitation for someone to grab your journal and to start to create whatever kind of timeline that makes sense for you, right? Or it could just be a narrative. You can start telling the story of your life and somehow graphically capturing that in, in terms of some kind of image. The second thing that the, this web page suggests that one do is that uh, you distinguish your your thoughts from the, the thoughts of others. And, and, and this, I think there's an encouragement for us to wake up to our implicit philosophy about who we are, the beliefs that we have, and that we're, we become aware of living on autopilot, and there is this pressure, I, I guess you could say, to follow a certain social script in life, and that when we distinguish, when we really start to look at the things that we think and ask ourselves, you know, is this really what I think, or did I inherit this thought, then we can become more aware of who we are, right? What do we believe, right? For instance, you know, young people, maybe when it comes to voting, they'll vote for a certain party, and they'll ask, you know, ask the question, well, why do you vote for that party? And they're like, well, I vote for this party because um, this is the party my parents vote for. And I'm like, okay, well, but do they represent you? you know, is this a party that's interesting to you? This is a party that has policies that speak to you, right? So here, by distinguishing our thoughts and becoming aware of our implicit philosophy, by challenging living on um, autopilot, by 
maybe even challenging the social script and waking up to the possibility of living off script, we're able to figure out more about ourselves in terms of you know, what is it that I believe that I need, that I value, that I interest, that are my intentions, that are my strengths, as compared to my peers or my parents, right? It also allows us to become aware of, and this was um, an idea that I got from the Science of Well-Being course online, free from Yale, uh, offered by Professor Lois Santos. She introduced this idea, which is um, a thought presented by Tim Wilson and Dan Gilbert, this idea called miswanting. And this is the act of being mistaken about what one wants and how much one will like it in the future. And for instance, we're sold ideas about what it means to be successful. And they often include ideas of making lots of money and having lots of stuff. And the research indicates that that's not necessarily true in terms of increasing levels of happiness. It gives us an opportunity to say, you know, are we somehow caught up in this idea of miswanting when we think that we want fame? Do we really want fame? You know, or do we want to have close relationships with other people? Or do we want to find a meaningful occupation in terms of not just like work, but also a meaningful occupation in terms of a leisure activity? The third part is it says uh, start relying relying on yourself and I think like this is you know from the existentialist position what is the difficult thing that causes spiritual angst existential angst and so once again we kind of like those feelings that indicate that we have some work to do right just like you know a person might experience boredom I'm, I, I identify that boredom is a feeling that tells you that you're you're kind of empty and you need to figure out what you're interested in so you can fill yourself up. So start relying on yourself, for me, would be surrounding this idea of taking and creating opportunities for a person to experiment with choice, right? Just what is it that you can do in terms of options that are available and, and choose to follow through on them and experience this reliance on oneself and becoming accountable to oneself and accepting a responsibility to create one's own meaning, which is existentially heavy. But the payoff means that if you're able to identify who and what it is that you are, according to Maslow, we might then figure out how we ought to live, right? Because we have some valuable information there. Moving along, we're still in part one, waking up and conscious, but now we've moved to this idea of prepare to begin again with a clean slate, right? I think there's some suggestions offered there about what a person can do instead of just replicating that. I'd like to say I think that the idea that they're trying to get at here is to encourage people to find principles to live by. So if there's some uh, unhealthy habits that a person is plagued with, it's a challenge to create a routine with healthy habits. It's uh, based on this idea of moving in ways to create closure with uh, any possible loose ends or uh, pebbles in one's shoes and to, to organize one's world and in the process of doing that, start to get a vision about the way you want to live, right? So you're figuring out things about yourself as you distinguish your thoughts from other people. And as you do this, you're able to kind of get a vision about what your life should look like and establish some principles that you can start to live by. Then we're going to move into part two here. Um, there, the, the 
part, uh, step five is organize your world, but I can I just kind of combine the step four and step five of part one there. And then we get into part two, conquering your world. They're suggesting that uh, the first thing a person should do, well, not, a, not the first, but an essential activity a person should engage in is immersing oneself in solitude. You know, you're going to shut down technology. You're going to put the phone down. You're going to put the um, the music, take the, the headphones off, and you're going to commune with yourself out in nature. Right? And when we remember some of the things that we talked about with Lost Connections by Johan Hari, Johan Hari, he said that uh, disconnection from nature is related to depression. Right? So what we want to do is we want to reconnect with nature. We want to go out into the desert. We want to retreat into our cave or sit under the Bodhi tree disconnect with technology and provide an opportunity for ourselves to become more aware of our own inner voice as opposed to all those external voices that we're always being overwhelmed by especially you know we're getting bombarded by ads every day that are trying to tell us that you know we're we're lacking in some way and that happiness requires us to kind of purchase some kind of item or product or service or experience after that we get down to this idea of seeking out a passion. Once again, this this requires some experimentation, right? If we're going to rely on ourselves and experiment with things to see what we're interested in, once we do that, we're able to become more aware of the thing that we're passionate about. I mean, it, we, we could even approach it by saying, what do you spend your money on? You know, what do you spend your time doing? And these things might point to something that is of interest to you and that is something that you value. And once you're passionate about something, you can get an inertia. And it's easier to be motivated. You're already in motion, so you can stay in motion because the thing is exciting to you. Step three encourages us to find a mentor. Find someone that we can look to that is living the life that we find ourselves attracted to. Abraham H. Maslow, in terms of self-actualization, talked about two individuals that he found uh, very striking in terms of living the higher level self-actualization, self-actualized life. And he referred to them as growing tip specimens, right? So it's building your community or finding your community and within that community looking to someone who is living the life that you want for yourself and really like i mean it's about spending time with them it's about emulating them it's about once again taking in and making your own right you don't just want to be a carbon copy of someone else but you you want to find out what it is that they're doing and seeing if you know you might be able to embrace some of those things and make it work for you in the very unique way that your lived experience is situated Number four, it suggests that uh, we sort out a career path. Once again, this relates to Johan Hari's Lost Connections. In Lost Connections, he identified that meaningful work, a meaningful occupation is essential. And if money was not an issue, this is the question that's asked. If money was not an issue, what would you do? And it gives you an opportunity to reflect on work-life balance in terms of the other relationships you had. So this is linked with depression and anxiety. And if you reflect on your strengths, 
if you do the rely on yourself, discover things you're interested in, these things can allow you to figure out what you're good at and what you're going to invest in going through this process. Now we're getting into part three, changing your perspective. This one suggests that in terms of finding yourself, you need to let go of be you need to let go of the need to be liked by all people. There's an encouragement to still live by the golden rule, but realize there's always there are always going to be critics. And this is something that's hard, but radical acceptance is going to be helpful in terms of accepting the reality that we're not going to have everyone's favor, accept that, but focus on the positive that, you know, if we can find our community, if we can connect with a mentor, then we will be able to do the things that allow us to be our authentic selves. For instance, you know, the social script might be that a person uh, wants perhaps to get married and have kids, if that's something they choose, right, which is, that's all part of the script. But it might be, you know, you find your house, and you like picket fence, and you get your dog. And some people might say, you know what, that's not what I want. And and I shared earlier in the first podcast, the happier quest, that, you know, me and my wife, you know, we're very interested in this idea of a family sabbatical. Um, other people, you know, they might be interested in homeschooling. Uh, there could be some people who want to have a home birth. And you know what? There's going to be critics, right? And what we need to do is to figure out how we can let go of this need to be liked by everyone, live respectfully, you know, have those principles to live by that we talked about in terms of preparing to begin with the new slate, but yet be true to ourselves and perhaps if we have to, go off script. In terms of step two and uh, part three of changing your perspective, they suggest that uh, a person should abandon the negative. So back to this idea of accept the negative, but focus on the positive, embrace and build an optimistic worldview, life view. Specifically here, we could be aware of our automatic negative thoughts. Those are called ants. And I realized after the fact in episode one that I talked about ants when I was talking about action uh, for happiness, and I didn't really talk about what an ant was. And those are those thoughts that we have, that we treat as real, that aren't true. There are often thought errors that we have about ourselves, and they hold us back. And if we can embrace a compassionate self-talk, we can tell ourselves that, you know, instead of failing, that we tried, and we can try again, and we've made some progress, and we're making our way forward forward, even if it is small steps, not huge leaps, right? So being aware of our automatic negative thoughts is an important way of getting beyond the negative and being compassionate with oneself. Step three, question yourself. In terms of the life that uh, you're attempting to live, in terms of relying on oneself, experimenting with choice, ask questions about yourself. And you can you can be playful with this. And uh, the one thing I like to do is imagine you know, this is where we can get into a narrative and say, if uh, you want to learn about yourself, well, just imagine you're the author of your life. And if you were to write a book, what would the title be? I think this kind of gives us information about who we are and the things that we're passionate about. What chapter would you be in right now? Who or what would be the antagonist? I like this one too. What songs would be on your soundtrack? And I, I think that. You know, a, 
a really interesting song or a podcast on Who Am I is uh, the song by Journey, Don't Stop Believing. Just this idea of two young people trying to find themselves and somehow ending up in a smoky bar of all places. But just this desperate search, you know, by street lights at night. And, you know, I, I think that uh, I would definitely have on my soundtrack the song Don't Stop Believing. Number four. So we're changing our perspectives and we are at number four. I'm settling in for good. And uh, the first one it has is act on, act upon and use your knowledge. So, you know, in terms of the uh, podcast on knowing oneself's strengths, this is where we want to leverage our strengths, right? Once we have a sense of who we are in terms of our needs, beliefs, values, intentions, interests, strengths, and any other thing that you want to add to that list that I've forgotten, because chances are I've forgotten something. We want to start to leverage those strengths. We want to feed our passions. We want to connect with like-minded kindred souls. And we want to become aware of our implicit philosophy so we could have a more explicit, accurate philosophy about who it is that we are and the principle that we want to live by. And as we do this, step number two, do we need to be ready for dead ends, right? I mean, sometimes in a person's youth, you, you think you have an idea of where you want to go. And, you know, it could, it could be even to a significant degree where someone is pursuing something at school, in, you know, at a university level, after one or two years, discovers that they're not in the right field at all. And that could feel like a huge dead end because of the financial implications, right? But some important and valuable information has been received in terms of realizing that that is not where you want to be and you're going to have to get back on track, right? And so Tal Ben-Shahar in uh, the online course that he has on happiness, positive psychology, that's, it's a positive psychology course, has shared this wisdom. He's like, you know, learn to fail or fail to learn. And he stated that so many times throughout his lecture. Learn to fail or fail to learn, right? Allow yourself to grow. And we are, in a sense, finding ourselves in an adventure. Sometimes we might go down the wrong path. And so there's no formula that a person can embrace in terms of the proper way to get to where you need to go, right? There are some, if you imagine a mountain, some people might be able to go from point A to point B, and it's a straight line. And for other people, it's like up and then down and then back up. And it's okay, because as long as you keep moving forward with your journey, you're going to get closer to where you need to go. And the last one is um, serve others. So if the idea at one point is to immerse yourself in solitude so you can connect perhaps with nature and get a sense of what your inner voice is, there's a caution that you don't just stay there. Right? you got to get back into the world. And this encouragement is serving others. right? So this is the other aspect of immersing oneself in solitude. So we can come back to the world, build relationships. You know, connectedness is an important thing, right? Especially when we're feeling spiritually rudderless and we need to become interconnected with the community and environment around us. The goal here is to, well, there was uh, Abraham H. Maslow told me 
had a, a model called the hierarchy of needs, and it went from the lower level need up to the higher level need, which was self-actualization. But there were some criticisms of that model, and one of them was that it didn't go far enough, and it was perhaps somewhat selfish in terms of just the focus on someone developing oneself. And so the there was a an idea that to go beyond self-actualization would be including self-transcendence and this idea of being aware that one is a, a, a social creature and involved within a community and that uh, we need to nurture relationship and that relationship is the stuff of happiness. So for me, serving others, I'm, I'm an amateur podcaster. I'm doing this because I enjoy the thought of sharing what I think are some quality free resources with other people. And my hope is, you know, with all my disclaimers that, you know, I'm not in the business of giving advice. I don't have a monopoly on the truth, encouraging people to be critically self-reflective, taking things and making their own, that at some point, some of the things that I'm sharing might be helpful for people in terms of their self-directed curriculum for wellness. I think I've covered everything that I want to cover in terms of just talking about the web page um, from WikiHow. Giving you some interesting thoughts at the beginning about uh, just by the way thoughts that I want to share with you. And I shared with you that my thought is that one of the really important ways that we can discover stuff about ourselves is by exploring the choices that we've made and perhaps making a choice timeline and that choice is revelatory, tells us things. It really tells us about what's important in terms of the way we choose to spend our time, the way we choose to spend our money, things that we um, like read, uh, people we spend time with. You know, these are the things that we must value if we choose them time and time again. In terms of this idea of becoming conscious of my choice history. One of the tools that's been very important for me in terms of this personal research is audio journaling. So I guess I'd just like to end with that thought there. For years I have been making entries first on microcassettes with a microcassette recorder and I have about, I don't know, 300 to 400 microcassette tapes front and back where in my late adolescence, so we're talking about 18 to, for years, I was making entries on uh, microcassette tapes. With the change of technology, I've moved away from microcassette tapes. Then I moved into creating memos or audio digital files on my digital recorder. And this has been a really important tool for me in terms of self-discovery. It allowed me to debrief those you know, wonderful, noble, incredible moments, you know, those peak experiences, and those not-so-great, terrible, ugly moments that I've also had, and to kind of just work through those experiences, to understand those experiences, and to reflect on experiences so that I can discover more about who I am. There's something incredibly therapeutic and revealing about journaling 
in and of itself, but for me, it was really helpful to engage in an auto-journaling experience, and I continue to do it today. I find it really helpful. Additionally, I, uh, I'm, I'm making files uh, for my, my two young sons in, in terms of, you know, in the future, um, in terms of the last passing breath, whenever that moment might come, that they'll be able to have an idea of who I was and the things that I believed and something to kind of pass on in terms of a, a legacy, you know, to share one voice, right? So I would really encourage a person to get into the habit of creating an audio file for oneself and creating an audio journal library and just discovering for oneself the healing, therapeutic, and revealing aspects of talking things out. I think it's pretty powerful, and it could work for you, and it might not work for you. But for me, it was it was very helpful. So that is a specific tool that's been helpful to me that I suggest could be helpful to you. That's it. That's what we got today. I realize I'm, uh, I've talked probably longer than the usual 20 to 30 minute goal that I set for myself. But this is a discussion that I very much enjoy. And uh, I keep coming back to it. It's not like a process that one engages in and then they reach a, a certain destination point and it's done. And it's like, you know, I know myself. I've completed the journey. No, I feel like the, the real experience is about perpetually finding oneself again. And for me, there have been different stages in my life, different chapters where because my relationship has changed in terms of one minute my focus is on my relationship with myself and then my marriage and then your relationship with your soulmate and then there's the relationship that you have if you choose to have kids, which which we have, we, we did choose to have kids. And, um, and then who you are changes in relationship to the relationships that you have and your relationship to the world around you. It's an ongoing thing. And so I guess if there's a thought that I should be leaving with, it's the thought that this is an ongoing process and we're never completely done. And that's what's exciting about this whole idea of finding oneself is because we're not a static thing. We're dynamic. And we're always evolving and growing and growing is a great thing. Believe me, having listened to those previous tapes many moons ago, decades ago, I'm glad I've grown. <laughs> so, thank you for tuning into the Hopefully You Miss Cafe. Hopefully you've been given some helpful food for thought ramblings about how to develop a relationship with yourself and direction to a new resource for your spiritual toolbox. I'd like to conclude by saying, may the choices you make be the wisest ones possible. In the moments that you meet, peace, take care, until our next sharing.